This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. All right, welcome to our show. Uh, what is your name? Thank you very much. I'm John Robinson. John Robinson. What is your role in the line dance community? Um, hmm. <laughs> uh, crazy person? I don't know. Um, I've been uh, touring and teaching line dancing for quite a while, uh, full time since 1999. Um, and most people around the world know who I am. It's uh, because I work, event- I'm in a different city every weekend, either working a big dance convention or a small workshop, or uh, sometimes I do mini tours. Like right now, I'm in California doing a mini tour. Different city every day. And I'll be doing another one of those coming up in Fe- or, uh, January in Florida. So, keeps me busy. I'm a full-time line dance instructor. Uh, choreographer. Sometimes a competitive judge at some of the uh, conventions. And, of course, I also participate in all the, the shows at the events at if we're there and they have a show on Saturday night, I'm always involved in that. So, a little bit of everything. I enjoy it. All right. And uh, you mentioned you choreograph. What are some of the dances that folks might recognize of yours? Oh, there's a lot. So, <laughs> probably the most recent one would be Cliche Love Song, which I wrote with Joe Thompson Szymanski and Guyton Mundy, mm-hmm. uh, getting massive attention around the world, which is really cool. I'm glad people like it. Um, I had a big dance called Hoot Nanny recently, which again was done around the world and nominated for awards Um, just got an email a few weeks ago it was nominated for an award in Spain so that's really cool uh, for like dance of the year or something that's really neat Um, my signature dance is called Dangerous and that was the one I wrote way back in 1997 became a massive hit it was one of the quote unquote first dances that incorporated um, arms and funky music so at that time it was very revolutionary (laughs) <laughs> I didn't think I was being revolutionary. I just did what felt good to the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was due to Joe Thompson. Uh, at the time, she wasn't married to Tim Szymanski, so she was still Joe Thompson. Took me on tour with her to the UK, and she had seen me do the dance and asked me to teach it at one of the gigs that we did there. And people just flipped in a good way. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is amazing. And that's really pretty much what built me up uh, internationally was going on tour with her and being able to teach that somewhere else so that helped to kind of crack open the international world for me other dances oh gosh there's a ton of them um, I can't even think of any right now but there's a lot so <laughs> okay. I've done uh, many over the years several hundred what is your, your process for uh, finding as you say what feels good with the music well usually what happens is I'll be playing a song uh, or a CD I'm old school. I still have CDs and listen to them. Um, I, of course, still I have things on digital, but it's much more fun for me to actually have the actual CD there. And I'll pop one in, somebody I've never heard of or a CD I haven't listened to before. And if a song comes on that I like that kind of grabs my attention, um, I'll play it again. First time through just to enjoy it. Second time through, if I think it's danceable, I'll start counting it to see if it's you know actually phrased well enough to be able to do dance to it. And then... From there, this usually happens while I'm driving or riding in the vehicle as we're traveling from city to city. So I have to pretty much choreograph it in my head. (laughs) And then when we get to land, (laughs) where I can actually get out of the vehicle and dance it on floor or a driveway or hotel room or something, see if it works. Um, And I guess because I've done it so long, I'm able to do that in my head. Some people say, how do you write a dance in your head without being able to move your feet? 
uh, well, sometimes it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get out and you go on a flat surface and you go, holy cow, those steps are way too fast for this music. Or, you know, that just isn't going to fit. Um, but most of the time it actually works. And then I have to polish it a bit. Um, I find the best dances are the ones that just flow out and you don't have to think about them too much or overanalyze the step patterns. Um, if I can remember it again tomorrow or next week, then I feel like that choreography is solid. You know, I don't, have to, I don't get stuck at one point and go, what's supposed to happen here? If my body just does it, then uh, it makes sense to me. I'm pretty much a musical person, mm. so I like to listen to the nuances of the track. Um, sometimes, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but having judged, having judged choreography as long as I have and seen a lot of dances, of course, over the years, I think a lot of novice choreographers and even some established ones tend to focus mainly on one thing in the, in the song or the track. So it's either the beat structure or um, the rhythm, and they don't pay attention to all the nuances in the track. So a good example of somebody who does pay attention would be Rachel McEnany. She can hear and capture those little extra nuances inside the song and then bring that out in her step patterns or whatever she's doing in the choreography. And that's what makes a dance really shine to me is when you hit those little nuances, you go, oh, I wouldn't have noticed that if she hadn't done that little step pattern there. So I try to do that as well. When I hear a track, it's not all just about the one, two, three, four, and five, six, seven, whatever. It's also like, what's the vocal line? What's the lyrical line? What's going on uh, with the rest of the, the song? And if you can pick up some of that stuff, and bring it to the forefront, I think that kind of makes a dance really cool. Even if people don't notice it consciously, subconsciously it, I think it grabs them because they go, hey, that really fits to this music. So that if you were to try it to a different piece of music, maybe it wouldn't feel as good because it was really captures that song. So that's what I try to go for. And sometimes I just don't care. Sometimes I just want to write a super fun dance that people are going to love. So I go for the fun factor. So, you know, it depends on the market of, of what appeal I want the dance to have. What would a, a fun type song include? Well, one of the ones I just did, a recent one that I just did, is called Long Island Slide. I did a um, workshop in New York on Long Island. Hadn't done one there in years and years and years. And I was warned, so to speak, that the people there are primarily country bar dancers. So I thought, well, I'm going to write a good little bar dance that you can enjoy at a club and no, you know, not have to stress over the step patterns, lots of syncopations, that kind of thing. So I picked a song called Good Gets Here by Toby Keith. Really kind of high energy track, very fun sounding. Um, and my step patterns are pretty symmetrical. So again, you don't have to overthink like there's not 32 counts of completely different stuff. So you want a little bit of symmetry. You want noise. Club dancers love noise, stomping, clapping, anything of that nature. Um, so of course I have stomps, I have claps, and I had a little pelvic thrust in there as well, you know, because the club dancers are going to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So kept it simple, two walls, 32 counts, taught it there for the first time, they ate it up, they were like, let's do it again, which is always a good sign. Um, and then I taught it at another place where they ate it up as well, which that's, you never know when you choreograph and dance if people are going to respond that way. If they're going to go, that's really cool, or just be like, eh, you know, take it or leave it. So they responded really well the second time, and then I also taught it out here in Placerville on Friday. And that group, um, I guess, I don't really know that group, because uh, I've never taught a workshop there before. But they were like, oh my god, that's so fun! So that was the point. It's supposed to be fun. So, it worked. <laughs> okay. What is your toolkit of, uh, of steps? Where does that come from? What's your background with dance that informs you as to what steps are which? 
Well, this is a tricky question because I don't really have a formal background in dance, which always surprises people. Um, even on this tour, I've had people come up to me and say, um, you must have taken ballet or you must have you know, done ballroom. And I always say, nope, I just make this up. <laughs> um, truth be told, I did have three months of ballroom when I was 19, but that doesn't influence my choreography now at all. Um, but I really never had any technical training. So it's mostly from my years of experience and continually learning. I always tell people you should always be learning when you're a dancer, never stop. You never know everything. You can always learn something new from anybody, from any class you go to, even a beginner class. Um, every style of dance you can pick something up from. Um, so I've always been learning all along. And over the years, of course, I've, I've taken lots of technique classes. I've done couple stuff in the past and learned a lot from that as well. I also used to compete. So, of course, getting feedback from the judges back then, that was back in the late 90s. Um, that helped. Um, and just a continual um, furthering of my education. So I've done it for so long that a lot of it's just natural. I don't really think about it, but I love teaching technique workshops and helping other people understand their body mechanics and how you should move to just help your dancing be better and easier. Um, I think one of the, I'm going to go off on a tangent here as well. Go ahead. One of the issues that I have with line dancing is it's a lot of fun and everybody wants to learn the latest dance and learn all 25 new dances that have come out this week, but no one ever really learns them well or learns how to do them properly. So that's a little frustrating to me because I think part of dance is knowing how to move your body right and it makes it look nicer. So um, it also makes it easier for you. And I think it's more enjoyable if you know how to move your body well and interpret those steps. So when it comes to me and my choreography, a lot of it, like I said, it's just made up. I just do whatever feels great. Um, sometimes I'm influenced by watching a video or getting some inspiration from that or something I've seen somebody do might, might uh, inf uh, inspire a different pattern or a different move. But um, a lot of it's just whatever pops into my brain and comes out of my feet at the time. So, What gave you the confidence to at some point say I am an instructor I am a choreographer and not just oh well I've, I've taught this dance or I, I made this dance right that's like a, you don't have the title yeah that's a good question um, when I started dancing back in the 90s the um, I taught at a country bar a club in Green Bay Wisconsin it's called the Grizzly Rose and it was patterned after the Grizzly Rose in Denver Colorado um, started dancing there for fun and then about a year later the instructors that were teaching were doing I think five nights a week and of course keep in mind I was younger then so they were older <laughs> and they also had full-time jobs so they decided that was too many nights for them to teach and they wanted someone to take over one night so they asked um, another couple that was dancing there first they declined and then they came to me because they knew I was very energetic and outgoing and, and really enjoyed dancing and without us seconds of hesitation I said sure and I had a dance partner at the time her name was Diane she was one of my coworkers from my real job and she said wait we need to talk this over and I said no 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 let's just do it so kind of trial by fire our first class I had to learn I knew nothing about breath control or or how to speak on a microphone and I taught a really high energy dance the first time so it was like and kick and rock and you know I didn't know how to breathe or, or speak on a microphone but you learn really quick so um, then uh, somebody suggested to me about a year after that, they said, oh, there's these competitions. You should go participate in them because you're really good. Well, there I was really good. When I went to the com com competitions, I realized I got to learn more stuff and, and improve my craft. 
So it was probably maybe another year or so after that that um, one of the event directors where I was going and attending just for fun um, as a paid participant asked if I would like to teach a class. So I was excited, of course, and a little bit nervous, and I said, sure. And pretty much from there on, I mean, I just never looked back. I started getting hired at more events in the Midwest. Um, my good friend Jamie Marshall, who was the first female world line dance champion, she um, told me, because I had moved to Colorado to do this as a job, a lady hired me to come to Colorado to teach full-time. Wow. And um, I said, sure, let's do that. Keeping in mind, I had lived in Wisconsin my whole life, had you know not really thought about doing dance as a career. Of course, I had to have three other jobs while I lived there because the cost of living was so high. Mm. But anyway, um, my friend Jamie said, if the Colorado thing doesn't work, just move to uh, Kentucky and I'll help you out. Well, that's kind of what happened. Moved to Kentucky. She had more contacts, so she put my information out there, got me... Um, my email address, which is Mr. Showcase, because that was the division of competition I took uh, my world title in. And basically, that's pretty much how I got started traveling the circuit and teaching, because mm. Jamie kind of helped and, and uh, advertised me, so to speak, to the event directors. And I guess I must have been pretty good, because here I am now, and I teach almost every weekend I'm somewhere, which is quite amazing to me. Um, when I, I grew up on a dairy farm, and I never knew I'd be traveling the world teaching line dancing. I had no clue. So I just had to decide, though, in 1997 was when I quit my job, my regular job, and said, I'm going to try this as a full-time career. And kind of the motivation for it, there was two things. Um, I looked to Joe Thompson as a role model. I still do. Um, and Scott Blevins at that time had just started coming onto the scene and started making a name for himself. And... Most people don't know Scott from that time period, so they didn't realize he had long hair and wore his cowboy hat and tight jeans because he's from Texas, right? Um, and so I was like, if this hick from Texas <laughs> can become this huge star in the line dance world, why can't I? So that kind of pushed me towards doing it myself as a full-time career. I haven't looked back. And for folks now, uh, like there are some friends of mine in Southern California who occasionally choreograph something and bring it to a country bar if they wanted to make that transition into the circuit and making it a full-time thing how would one go about doing that um well there's a lot of avenues these days of course probably these days the best thing is to get a video shot and get it online everybody wants to see a video even if it's a beginner dance and you should be able to figure it out from reading a sheet they gotta see it on a video so a video is really helpful um there's the world line dance newsletter um, that's a good resource. You can you can submit new dances there. You can of course submit your dance to coppernob.co.uk out of the UK. Um, that's a great resource for step descriptions, and usually there's a video posted if there is one with it. So that's really helpful. Um, and then probably the best thing is, I mean, if you do a dance, uh, it depends what your goal is. Uh, if you do a dance and you just want it to have regional exposure and, you know, the people in your area do it, that's fine. That's great. If you're happy with that, wonderful. If you want it to become more sort of a worldwide phenomenon, then you need to market yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, probably one of the things I would suggest is getting one of us touring instructors to become aware of the dance mm. and um, if we like it we may tour it we may take it around I've done that for a lot of dances mm. um, one of the dances we did here today we're, we're in um, where are we today Novato mm -hmm. yes uh, and we did um, a dance called Bittersweet Memory which was one of my favorite dances and I saw that at the UCWDC World Championships a few years back 
and thought, that dance is really nice, I like it, and I'm going to tour it. And it became a big, big, big hit over here in the States. Um, not just because I taught it, but because it's a really nice, well-written dance. And um, I like doing that, because if there's a dance I enjoy, I want to push it, because I want to be able to dance it. So it's really helpful if you or a budding choreographer gets their dance to someone who's touring either the U.S. or the world, and they take that dance on tour with them because more people are going to be exposed to it. Um, it does help if the dance is well-written and fits the music really well, of course. So some, some, a lot of, and I'll just uh, talk about this from my perspective, I get a lot of emails from people saying, I've written this dance and I want some feedback. I'm really busy, so it's difficult for me to look at all of them. Um, so, but if I have time, um, I'll, I'll analyze it and give a little bit of feedback. And two things, number one, have a hook. I always tell people when you're writing a dance, there's got to be some really cool thing about it that's going to motivate people to want to do it. So if you're just doing rock recover coaster, half turn shuffle, just basic step patterns with no kind of really neat little section, it's probably not going to go very far. Um, so have a hook and make sure that you're probably the second most important thing is make sure the dance makes sense. Sometimes People write dances where they think it's really cool because, of course, they put those steps together. And naturally, you're going to be, I love these steps. These are really awesome. But there are such things as body flight, making sure that if you've got a pattern moving to the right and you want to reverse direction, go to the left, there has to be some transition step to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I've judged many dances and, and seen many dances where, of course, the choreographer can do it because they wrote it. It makes sense to them. But... If my body's fighting it, other people's bodies are going to fight it as well. So just make sure that your, your choreography is got a catchy thing in it and that it really flows well and, and fits the music really well. And those are two things that will really help. Um, but the marketing is a big thing these days. You know, get it out there, get it online, get a video. Keep in mind that if you use music, you may run into issues with copyright laws. They might you know, block the sound from your video if you're using a copyrighted song. Don't be surprised. A lot of people act like, oh my gosh, they blocked my music. Why did that happen? Well, there's such a thing as copyright, so it may occur. Um, best thing is probably just to walk through your dance without the music so people can at least see the step patterns and how they, how they work. Um, if you can get away with saying this is for educational purposes only and only use maybe two walls of the song, that tends to fly better than doing the entire track. Um, that's a good way to, to get it out there and especially for the whole world to see it um, so and you need to be persistent you know you can't just give up if you put out a dance and it doesn't go anywhere if you really want to pursue it then write another one and, and keep at it so I have one friend who's very shy about the whole marketing and money side of it he puts out some really great um, discussion type blogs about uh, line dance but he doesn't. He's not ready to monetize because he feels like he's just doing it uh, for his enjoyment. And I tell him, like, wouldn't it be great if you could support yourself in the future? Uh, how do you go about getting things like paid gigs and feel like you're a legitimate, you know, source of value <laughs> to get those paid gigs? Right. Well, this is where it comes down to. You have to be able to teach. Mm. So sometimes people who choreograph aren't the best teachers. Mm. Um, so you really need to become well-rounded. Most of the people. Uh, I would say 99.9% .9 of the people who are hot on the circuit are um, not just good choreographers, but they're good instructors. No one's going to hire somebody back if they come and they're a really awful teacher. Um, and people find it really difficult to learn from them. And um, they don't mingle well with the crowd. Or um, one of the, here's, here's how I'll say it. 
for me, I'm an all-around entertainer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just a teacher, I'm not just a choreographer, I'm not just a dancer, I'm an entertainer. So when people hire me, they're hiring me for my entertainment value. I come in, I'm funny, I'm exciting, I make people laugh. I also teach them a dance really well and they learn it and they go home and they're excited because they've learned this great new dance and they've had a good time learning it. Um, I participate in the shows. Any, any event I go to, the uh, event director asks me to do something, I pretty much do it. <laughs> so I'm well-rounded and that will help um, anybody who's wanting to look at pursuing it as a career as well. Um, it can help to make a name for yourself in your local area. Um, that might be a good place to start practicing, you know, with some friends of yours first and then trying to get like, like a non-paid thing, uh, maybe at a charity event, offer your services to, um, let's say a company is having a party and they want somebody to come in and teach line dancing, you know, offer that as an option. We did that when I lived in Wisconsin, my dance partner and I actually got a hold of a company they were doing i think it was a new year's eve party and they wanted some kind of entertainment and we said well we'll be happy to teach line dancing and they're like oh wow that sounds really cool because their theme was a western theme so we came in and taught some really cute little easy dances that most of the people could do but you have to be an entertainer because at those kind of things people don't want to get up and do it they're too worried they're going to look silly so you have to be encouraging and you know like come on out to the floor and actually get be like a, a you know an entertainer and mingle and, and talk to people and get them uh, involved so same thing is true if you if you want to become a name on the circuit most of the people out there are not everybody but most of the people are, are pretty good at being an entertainer all around teacher choreographer um, when they're out on the floor you know people look up to us they say oh I want to watch Rachel or I want to watch Joe or I want to watch John dance um, I actually hear that a lot I'm not sure why but people are like oh, I just left to sit and watch you dance I don't even want to do the dance I want to watch you because I'm enjoying myself but I'm also entertaining um, but start local see if you can get little little um, things locally and then when you have that, it sort of builds up a resume. And then you can submit that to people say, hey, I've taught here and here and here. I'd love to teach at your event. Maybe you'll have to do it as a, um, uh, what's the word I want? Um, just for free, maybe, for a couple times. Just to kind of say, hey, I just teach one class, come in, do whatever. Um, event directors have budgets. Yeah. So they're going to hire the people that they know are going to bring crowds in. That's why they hire the people that are at the top right now, because... They know people are going to come want to learn from them. So it may take a while to get there, but if somebody really wants to do it, then you've got to be consistent and, and work towards it and not kind of sort of go oh, half-heartedly try this or try that. You've got to devote yourself to it. For me, it's my full-time career. I have no other job, um, but I also have a merchandising table at all my events, so the events that I work. So that is really what pays my bills. I don't actually make enough money to live from what I get paid to teach. Um, so anybody who thinks that's going to happen, good luck. <laughs> but you can supplement your income really well. You know, if you if you have services that people find valuable, just like anything else. What what are the sorts of merchandise items that people uh, get from you? That uh, well, from me specifically, we have created a niche pretty much for uh, dance jewelry. So since most line dancers on the circuit are women and they tend to like blingy things, um, we've learned that it actually we make most of the jewelry now. So it's all pretty much custom pieces and most of it's dance related, which is really hard to find. You can't just go to a store and buy a dance piece of dance jewelry. So most of it's that. We do a lot of other dance related accessories. So just 
I don't know, like fans or um, decorations for your shoes or, or all, just a whole bunch of, of different things. A lot of the people that are on the circuit kind of supplement their income by selling T-shirts. Mm-hmm. So Scott Blevins, for example, has a shirt that says Have Fun, Go Mad because that's his signature dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Will Craig has shirts and, and uh, Guyton Mundy has shirts because people kind of become your fan. So they want to have you know something that says, hey, I like this person. So a lot of the choreographers, Rachel has shirts as well. Um, but we kind of set ourselves apart by having a variety of accessories that dancers uh, can use and, and enjoy. So it's fun. I enjoy it. And it helps, like I said, to pay to pay my bills. <laughs> to buy these items, where would people go? Is there a place online that they could? Well, find? for us specifically, we have a website. It's not functional right now. It's, our store is called Super Jmart mm-hmm. because uh, one of my friends, Junior Willis, uh, named it. He said, you, have, you should call your store something. And he said, why don't you call it Jmart for John Jmart? And I said, no, that's too pedestrian. It needs to be called Super Jmart. <laughs> So superjmart.net. Hopefully it will be functional after the first of the year in 2016. Um, I've completely redesigned it. Uh, I just need to get photographs of the merchandise and load those in so um, people will be able to order on there. The tricky bit is, since we make everything, it's pretty personalized and and each piece is unique. So it's hard to put that on there so people can buy it because once one piece is gone, it's not like I'm going to make 16 more of them. Everything's pretty unique. but that's a good place to start, superjmart.net. Can people contact you as well? Oh, yes. That's, that's probably the easier way is to get a hold of me by email or, or phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, my website, mrshowcase.net, uh, has my step descriptions. Um, a lot of people are curious to know why aren't your step sheets on Copper Knob or these other websites because I have a format that I use, and I prefer people to have the original step sheet the way I wrote it. Mm-hmm. No offense to anybody who's running websites that have step sheets but when I teach a dance I also ask the choreographer to send me their original sheet I like to have it the way they wrote it uh, because sometimes the websites when they publish them the format gets a little muddied or or changed um, and I prefer to have the original so mrshowcase.net is my site which has my schedule and my step sheets and a little information about me and where I'll be and before a couple final questions I was curious about the hook that you mentioned uh, that people should put into their dances how does one discover a hook? Um, hmm. A couple things. Number one, watch a lot of dance videos. <laughs> Seriously, watch a lot of videos. Um, YouTube is a great resource. You can go and I watch videos of all kinds of dancing. Um, I don't think line dancers should limit themselves to just watching line dance related videos. Watch tango videos. Watch um, hip-hop videos because you'll see really cool moves that we're not used to doing in line dancing line dancing everybody knows has triple steps and rock steps and jazz boxes and everybody knows that sometimes uh, a, what makes a dance really cool is when you throw in something weird or off the wall that we're not used to seeing and the great way to discover that is pretty much watch videos watch music videos as well watch the choreography on music videos you'll go hey that's a really neat move I like those four counts or those eight counts and I'm going to borrow those and put them in my dance you know mm-hmm. you can Co- uh, dance steps aren't copyrighted so I'm not saying you should copy someone's dance but sometimes you get inspired by a little piece that you see and you go oh I really like that I'm going to make a, put that in my dance um, a hook would just be something that really catches your eye so for example in cliche love song mm. um, everybody says the tag they love the tag yeah. right the 32 counts of the dance are, are not anything super revolutionary you know totally awesome brand new steps that no one's ever done before 
but the tag is really different and cool. And of course, people love the ending of the tag where they have to do the little guiten arm where they punch and punch <laughs> and swing their arm around, right? That's kind of a hook. That's what grabs people and they go, oh, wow, I love that. And it's really, that you can tell when people go, that part's really cool, that's your hook. Okay. And so. I've got, uh, I know that uh, it's been a very long day for you and I <laughs> want to be sure that you, you're able to get out and get some food. Uh, I have two and a half last questions for you. Uh, one, where do you see the future of line dance going? What, what do you see in the future of line dance? Well, that's hard to <laughs> predict. <laughs> um, everything goes in cycles. So over the course of me doing line dancing, when I started out, it was very country. Um, just a little bit of kind of pop. Um, a little bit of R&B, of course, um, because we had things like the electric slide. And we had, no oh gosh, I can't think of all of them, but there were dances that were done to non-country songs back then, but there weren't very many. So it was really country when I started. Um, and of course, as music changes, our line dancing changes. So just as an example, for a while, there were a lot of Latin dances. Mm-hmm. Latin got really hot. People were doing cha-chas and whatever else fit to whatever kind of Latin music. Sometimes the steps really didn't match the music, but Latin was a big thing, so everybody wanted to do a Latin dance. And then we went through a phase where it was all nightclub two steps. Everybody did the slow, pretty stuff. And um, I don't know, I think right now we're kind of in a, a flux where some people want to go back to the country, country mm-hmm. music. And I've seen a lot more country dances come out to country music again, which is really nice and refreshing. I'd like a mixture. Mm-hmm. I like a little bit of everything. Um, I don't know what the next big thing is. When Guyton came on the scene, of course, he ushered in, you know, kind of a funk factor that no one had ever really pushed before. Um, Nowadays, I guess one thing I'm seeing is there's a lot more what I would call either contemporary or lyrical type line dances with people doing all these really interpretive arm movements and body movements. And that's taking it to a different level. And I think some people look really good doing that and some people just do not, even though they try. Um... So I'm not sure everyone's comfortable with that. And I don't want to see it all go that way, because I think it turns people, they're saying it's like a performance then, which is true. It is like a performance. And I love it because I love to perform. Mm. But one of the appeals of line dancing is that it's a structure. So people get comfortable in that structure. They go, I know it's rock, recover, coaster step, half turn, triple step, clap, clap, whatever. They are comfortable with that because it's something they can uh, grab hold of and do pretty easily with repetition. When you get to something that's more contemporary or lyrical or, or really interpretive, lots of people aren't comfortable with that, especially in our society. I think here in the States, we're not taught to express ourselves in public. So I'm not sure if that's going to stay around long or if there'll be, you know, it's probably going to peak sooner than some of the other fads, if you will. Um, but I think as long as there's music, good music, people are going to continue writing line dances. I don't know what the next big thing will be, but... Um, it's always something there's always like uh, uh, somebody just mentioned to me the other day that oh the diamonds the diamond fallaways and the diamond shapes are really popular everyone's doing those in every style of dance whether it's a samba or whatever they or a waltz they want to have this diamond shape in it so that's kind of a fad right now Um, but who knows as long as it's fun I, I want it to be fun as long as people keep it fun and not too there are people that like the complex stuff but the majority of line ditchers I think prefer things that are kind of middle of the road where they can enjoy it there's just enough there for them to to feel like they're dancing something really cool but it's not too complicated where it hurts their brains mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, my second of two and a half questions <laughs> is assuming that you have the ear of everyone in the line dance world right now 
uh, what would you ask or request of your peers in the line dance community, including, uh, and you don't have to necessarily address all of these, but <laughs> DJs, dancers, instructors, choreographers, venue owners, photographers, promoters, security personnel, bartenders, event hosts, and anyone else you can think of. What would you ask of them? Hmm. I've had some interesting answers from Guyton on this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure. <laughs> Guyton's very outspoken about oh, things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Um, that's a tough question because, hmm, let me think about that. I guess specifically for my peers, I would ask them to remember where we came from and to remember that the only reason that we're here is because the people out in the world do our dances and support us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. Let's, here, I'll, I'll explain it from my perspective. This is easier. I travel the world and I go to local classes a lot. So I think most of my peers don't do that. They are hired to come to big events where everybody's a convention dancer. And by that I mean people come to the conventions to learn the hottest, latest thing. doesn't matter if it's an ABC dance or a dance with 17 tags and 14 restarts. They want to learn it because it's the hottest, newest thing. However, when you go out into the, the world at large, all these little classes that are happening in all these little towns everywhere, not just here in the States but around the world, not everybody can handle that type of material. So I think for my peers, they need to be aware, too, that there are, I don't know, I don't want to call them the little people, but you know what I'm saying? There's the people that are dancing locally, and they don't necessarily want all that crazy, <laughs> convoluted stuff. So for me, it's really neat. I think sometimes people um, in the line dance world also get caught up in the charts, like what's number one or what's... We have to do the top ten dances. When I travel, it's so funny because... When I work the conventions, there are dances that are convention dances that are done at the conventions. I never see them at a local class. At the local classes, I'll see more of what I would call the improver level type dances, where, like I said, they're just interesting enough to keep the people engaged, but they're not so hard that it, it's too complicated and they want to go sit down. That's one thing I would, I would say to my peers, is just remember, you know, and everybody has their niche too. I mean, we all have different groups and people that we appeal to. When I'm on the road, I try to appeal to everybody. So I'll teach something super easy, and then I'll teach something a little more challenging, and then I'll teach a really challenging one for the people that like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for everybody else, I would just say, remember, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun, even though for some of us it's a business. The business is fun. I would not do this if it wasn't fun. I really love to teach. I love to see the smiles on people's faces when they get it, when it clicks. And I love to see people dance. I want them to enjoy the experience of dancing. So I guess the other thing I would say is really help people to learn to dance well. Don't just teach them 78 billion steps without giving them some guidance on how to to actually do those steps well and enjoy them. Um, And that's hard to do because most people come into it and they've already got they haven't had that training. They haven't had anybody tell them, this is how you move your foot or your body or your hip or your shoulder to make this move easier. So I think, and a lot of the choreographers do that now. I know Rachel gives little tips and Scott gives little tips. Those are really helpful. Guyton's really good at explaining how to do his really funky, cool hand and arm things. He's really good at teaching that. And I wish all instructors were like that. I'm talking about local instructors as well. They should get the training to know how to explain to their people how to dance well and I think you know I don't want to to pick on people but I think sometimes the local instructors have stopped learning themselves and learning to to keep um, improving their own selves and, and what their capabilities are 
So I think that's important too. I don't know. That's pretty much it, I think, for my answer for that question. <laughs> and I, I have stacks and stacks more questions I'd, I'd love to ask you, so maybe we'll get you on here for a round two one of these days. <laughs> in particular, the instructor point, uh, Kat Painter and I had a really great discussion in Vegas about um, like local people who, who teach versus instructors, like right. what it takes to have that, um, that breadth of knowledge so you can tell people how to do things correctly for the benefit of their body. Yeah. And that's something that maybe we can get into uh, at another time. When well, you I'll be back in the break. area in April. April, so, oh, yep. fantastic. <laughs> okay. And the, the one very tiny question I had for you is what dance should everyone go out and learn right now? Cliche love song, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, Again, that's a hard thing to say because everybody likes different things. Um, and a new year is starting, so as the new year starts, I usually tend to pick some new dances to start touring. My favorite dance right now is Levels by Will Craig. I really enjoy that one. It's a lot of fun. A um, little bit funky, but not super difficult. That's my favorite dance right now. Um, but we're getting a lot of good feedback on Cliche Love Song. I think most people have learned it, mm. so that's really cool. I don't know what the next big dance will be. We'll probably find some coming uh, next month as the new year starts. Um, but that's a blast right now. There's so many new ones out, like every day. It's really hard to give a more definitive answer on other dances to pick. But I pretty much tell people, you know, learn what you like. So if you don't like slow dances, well, just don't learn them. Just learn the fast ones. If you prefer the funky ones, learn the funky ones. I also think it's good to learn some of the other styles that you may not like as much because it makes you more well-rounded. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, this is one of the things I say a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to say a lot, but there are some experienced dancers who refuse to do or frown on the easier level stuff, the beginner level stuff. And I always tell them, if you're such a great dancer, you should make that beginner dance look totally cool because of all the stuff you can do to it. People say one of the comp highest compliments I get is from Louis St. George, one of the DJs on the circuit. And he always says, you can make any dance look really good. He goes, it can be the, <laughs> I don't want to insult anything, but he's, he'll say, it can be the stupidest dance ever, but you make it look like I want to learn that. <laughs> and why is that? Because I add personality to it and I add style to it. Um, so I think that's really important. Just whatever you learn, whatever it is, learn to add your own personality to it. Don't just be a little robot. Don't just do the step patterns, but inflect your, your own character and your own personality to it. That's what makes dancing fun. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on our show today. You're very welcome. Uh, hopefully I'll see you again soon. And uh, happy dancing out there. Thank you very much. And you as well. Thank you.